0: In the talking health tech community, we've got quite a few healthcare providers who either own or have aspirations of owning their own practice one day, but owning a healthcare practice is a lot to take on. Not only are you dealing with and responsible for the super sensitive information of your patients, but quite often the owners, the director GPs are personally liable and accountable when things go bad, both medico-legally and commercially. So... How do you go about putting the right protections in place to ensure not just that you don't get in trouble, but you're able to take calculated risks to help grow your business? Because we all know, with risk comes reward. My guest today knows this all too well. I'm speaking to Sarah Bartholomew from U Legal, and today we'll cover all the important things that GP owners and healthcare practitioners need to know about running and owning their business, plus more. Let's make it happen, Team Health Tech. Welcome to Talking Health Tech with Peter Burge, a podcast featuring conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. With me today is Sarah Bartholomew. She's the founder and principal of the law firm U Legal, who help healthcare providers protect their practice and patients. Sarah has 15 plus years of experience actively practicing corporate and commercial law and is passionate about how organizations are set up to minimize their risk and maximize their potential and enjoys providing leaders with the confidence and certainty to make bold decisions. She's a company director, board member, best-selling author, TEDx speaker, and host of the podcast Accountants on Purpose. Hey, Sarah, how are you going? Very well. How are you? Really good. All the way from Radelaide. Making uh-huh. the time. Thank you so much. You're welcome. It's
1: great to be here.
0: Cool. Cool. You've covered a lot of ground and you've got a really interesting background. We'd love to get from your perspective, your story. Who's Sarah Bartholomew's?
1: Oh, I am lots of things. I guess I'm a lawyer, entrepreneur, mother, sister, wife, lots of different things, I suppose. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and tell us a bit more about your background. i gave to give you a high level overview in the intro.
1: Yes, I started out as a corporate lawyer in disputes and I did that for about six years and then I just realised that I hated fighting with people all the time and I felt like I was fighting with my partners about my billable hours, my clients about their bills and how much they had to pay for disputes they didn't necessarily want to be in. And with the other side, because it's litigation and that's what you do. So it was really a turning point when I decided to act for people to try and protect them and much more aligned with my values and what I want to do in the world to try and stop people from getting in that position in the first place.
0: Mm -hmm. And so has that brought you to found you legal? Is that what it's all about?
1: Yeah. So I went in-house and I worked in some big ASX listed companies and corporate commercial work, a lot of transactional work, buying and selling businesses. And then I was made redundant when I was seven months pregnant with my second child, so it was a difficult transition, I suppose. But it was at that point I thought, this is the opportunity I have to create something that is meaningful in the world for clients that I want to work with. That's the freedom that you have when you start your own practice and people that I love working with and want to protect. And I come from a medical family, I've got surgeons, GPs, dentists, physios, a nurse, whole gambit of different medical professionals in my family. So I love them and love working with them. So it seemed like a a really good fit to work with doctors.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, you Legal is primarily focused on healthcare or only focused on healthcare providers?
1: Yeah, we predominantly help doctors, allied health providers, and health tech businesses be legally compliant.
0: Yeah, nice, nice. And so, what's the kind of stuff that you'd help them out with?
1: We help with lots of different things for GPs and specialists. We do lots of contractor agreements, employee agreements, we do confidentiality agreements, privacy policies data breach protocols, you do consent forms for people wanting to do medical advertising, as you know, is highly regulated. Lots and lots of shareholders agreements, unit holders agreements, partnership agreements, depending on the structures, website terms and conditions, because doctors, are, if they're using third-party providers like HotDoc or HealthSite, then they need to have that in their website terms and conditions. And lots of doctors are now also having online stores where they're selling things through their business website. So they need to be protected in their website terms and conditions.
0: Totally. What are you finding is probably the most, whether it's emerging or the hottest topic at the moment that you're exploring with healthcare providers?
1: Hottest topic is vaccination clinics, surprisingly, and also how people are structuring their arrangements for that so that it be profitable and there's some risks that are coming up that I'm seeing in them because there's some people who are cautious and that's great they're the people that I tend to talk to and they're setting up different entities to run different types of business so they might have a GP clinic a vaccination clinic and a respiratory clinic and they might all be in different entities but they have generally the same staff working in them anomalies coming up in how people want to pay people for the vaccination clinics because The doctors aren't necessarily performing the injections. There's often nurses doing those and the doctors are there to supervise. So it's going to be a complex employment slash contractor conversation, I think, coming out of
0: this. I think that would come up a fair bit, wouldn't it, in healthcare?
1: It was coming up a fair bit and now it's coming up a lot more.
0: Because it's rare that a GP would be an employee of a practice. It
1: seems to be more and more popular because I suppose the payroll tax state revenue officers clamping down on what actually is an employee versus a contractor. But GPs generally do like to be contractors, that they get the flexibility that they want in their lives, I think.
0: And what about, say, legal issues or compliance or any other general things that you're helping out with the health tech crowd, so that the vendors who are creating solutions for healthcare?
1: Yeah, so there's lots of different things that they need that doctors don't need. We have been working on license agreements for them, so intellectual property license agreements. They can have more complex legal structures because some companies like to keep their IP in a separate entity from the operating company. And so there'll be inter-company agreements to protect that IP. They tend to be a lot more heavy on trademarking their names, their taglines, those sorts of things. Their website terms and conditions can be a fair bit more complex because actually they get private information from sensitive information from patients. And so they need to protect that in the same way that a doctor would. And so they've got, the agreement with the patient who comes through their portal, the agreement with the practice that's using their portal. So it's a little bit more complex often than just a a GP website, for example, as you might imagine.
0: Yeah, totally. Within the Talking Health Tech community, we've got a lot of, I guess, call them health tech vendors or founders of companies at different stages, well-established organizations, but also even the clinicians who are looking for technical co-founders and have like early stage ideas, at what point do they engage with legal advice through that process? Is it something that you do once you've formed an idea or is there a good spot to do that?
1: It is a good question. And pre-revenue stage, it can be difficult to work out if it's something that's gonna go anywhere and if it's worth investing in. That's the difficult thing. I suppose that's just being in business though, isn't it? And it can be a big investment for a health tech business particularly because it's so highly regulated. Um, So finding that time, I think if you are going into business with someone Absolute foundation document would be that shareholders' agreement so that you know what you're agreeing if it goes well and if it goes badly, because either scenario can be difficult for people personally. I've heard speakers who've become billionaires out of their businesses and it ruins their relationships. So, being clear at the beginning on what you're doing and if there's going to be capital raises or how you're going to run this if it goes well or if it goes badly is a really important discussion, even though it can be hard to have
0: that's good advice. Then thinking to the other side of things, so we're jumping from the health tech vendors to the primary care providers, and I'm sure we'll do that a few times in this discussion, but thinking then for GP clinics or for healthcare providers generally, business ownership is obviously a critical part to that. Generally, how general practices are run in Australia is that there's the individual GPs or a couple of GPs who would own it or healthcare providers who would own the practice, but running a business is very different to being a doctor. How have you found generally how we well doctors are at being good business people as well
1: i think that it can be very difficult or some doctors before they get a practice manager. So that practice manager is often like the business brain that joins the practice and it has to be running for a few years usually in order to justify one. So I think, and I say in my book, growing a medical practice from frustration to a high performance business, that you don't get trained how to be a business person in medical school. And there are a lot of different things to think about. Doctors are used to assessing risk because they do it for their patients every day. They say, yes, you should have a different test to establish whether this is something that we need to look at further. So they are excellent at doing that, but they just, haven't got the training on business so i do find lots of doctors are really interested in business because they do love learning they're very smart but one thing that really surprised me was at aapm the um, practice managers conference in brisbane in october 2019 now i brought my books And they sold out because the practice managers were like, this is the guide that we need to explain why certain things are important to our doctors. So that was really interesting that for practice managers, it was a bridge to help them talk about the legal side of the practice.
0: What would you say? Obviously, I'll put some details for the book in the show notes for people that want to check that out more. But at a high level, is there something in particular for those practice owners and practice managers that they could take out of that book that they could implement straight away?
1: I suppose it's a roadmap to making sure that you're legally compliant in what I think are four areas of your practice. Your practice, your profit, protecting that, protecting your patients and also protecting your people, so your team. All of those things are fundamental to get right because that's where the risks are in terms of getting a surprise from a regulator or a surprise bill from the tax office that you didn't expect. So being across Those four areas is my recommendation for people starting out
0: for sure. Thinking then of the two sides of the equation that you're speaking with, the providers of healthcare and also the vendors, when you think about as a provider, you're implementing technology in your practice, it's a change in workflow or there's an element of risk that's taken on in establishing that. Generally, how do you find healthcare providers in assessing risk in their decision-making in making good business decisions. We talked a little bit about risk before.
1: Yeah, it is funny. People have different attitudes towards risk in different areas, don't they? So an example is my husband. When we were going on an overseas trip once, he had something in his bag that was liquid, right? It was over the amount. And it was, I think it was toothpaste. Anyway, he then started arguing with the Customs person about how another customs person had led him through with it before. And for me, it's just throw that out and keep moving. Do not pick fights with customs people. Whereas he won't take risks. Like I'll be like, yeah, let's put money into this startup. And he'll be like, no, no, that's not a risk I want to take. So different people have different risk tolerances in different areas and I think when you're thinking like, I guess an insurance broker is probably a good person to have on your side when you start a practice too, because they can really honestly assess your risk and how you're mitigating it yourself as well. So if you've got locks on your windows, you get cheaper home insurance and that's the same with a practice. If you have different agreements in place to protect you, then your insurer might treat you differently as well.
0: If you had advice generally for what organisations might look out for in the future that are involved in healthcare, you know, we've seen a turbulent 24 or 18 months with COVID both on the vendor side and on the healthcare provider side, what does it look like over the next 12 to 24 months in terms of the environment and things to look out for and prepare for?
1: Basically, the government is changing things all the time, aren't they? And that's what's making it really unsettling for a lot of medical providers I guess it's it's hard to know what's going to happen when borders start reopening the effect that the vaccination is going to have on us and if we're even going to get them at this stage there's countries that are more needy than us and we're that they're putting them on the back burner for Australia a little bit saying you're dealing with this fine so yeah it's
0: One of those things. I wish I had a crystal ball. (laughs) I think everyone does at the moment, don't they? (laughs) Everyone's looking for for guidance. So what are you guys doing then? You legal, as you prepare for that uncertainty over the next coming months, what can we look forward to from you guys?
1: Well, we've got the second edition of my book coming out. Yeah, I updated it for COVID. So it's got information about remote work for doctors, telehealth, those sorts of changes that we've seen in general practice and, and other practice. Which has been amazing, I think, for access to healthcare. Like, there's so much opportunity, particularly for health tech, with this move to remote work. Our team has always worked in a remote way and also from an office. So, we're lucky we're already set up to do that with the systems. The return to conferences is what I'm looking forward to meeting more people in real life.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. And then so for any healthcare providers that are grappling with telehealth or also remote workforce, what are some things that they should be thinking about or keeping in mind as they set up their practice over a longer term to be able to handle all of that?
1: It depends on whether people are employees or contractors. If they're those service providers we were talking about earlier and they're contractors, they very well may have the right to work from wherever want anyway and so it's about setting boundaries about what's appropriate particularly in relation to the data that you have what systems are they going to be accessing at home who else is around are people able to see or hear their conversations so that privacy and confidentiality stuff at home is something that we might not have thought that deeply about before.
0: I've had quite a few individuals who are very much in the camp of people can't work remotely if they're In healthcare because they have access to sensitive information and so they must physically be in this location to be able to do that securely it sounds like there is a happy medium law firms have always felt that way as
1: well i think there are a lot of similarities between our professions but it is finding a happy medium and i think that the whole of the world has moved to more of a remote work style of working now so it is possible it's just about knowing those risks and mitigating them as much as you can.
0: Hey, I'm curious as well, just changing tracks a little bit. You also do a podcast and you speak with accountants. So we haven't really talked much about accountants in this conversation. So why accountants? Accountants are one of legals
1: biggest supporters. I feel like they get put down as being like boring bean counters. <laughs> but they've got such interesting stories and... I only talk to accountants who have a purpose that's higher than profit, so they have some reason for being in practice that helps the world or their teams or their clients more than other accountants, for example. The first season I interview only accountants that work with doctors and healthcare providers and, yeah, they're so inspiring hearing about why they do what they do. Yeah. So that's the reason.
0: A lot of respect for accountants as a fellow CPA over here. So, uh, yeah. That...
1: Yeah, I know. You are in there as an accountant yourself.
0: Yeah. It, I like the fly in the flag that they're not all super boring.
1: I know. That's, and also, you know, as a junior lawyer, I found that they're just, they're, I didn't really understand what my career options were. I think I was in a big law firm, it was become an associate, become a senior associate, become a partner and what this does for junior accountants I think is it really shows the different paths that people can take in their careers. And so I did a season on entrepreneurs and so people who like yourself have Become a CPA and then just realized it wasn't for them. Or even in my healthcare, one I had interviewed somebody who was an accountant and then just she worked for IKEA in house and it was a bit of a disaster, not as modular as you might expect. And then she started doing Pilates and did physio and became a physiotherapist because that was really what suited her personality and what she was interested in doing, having been an athlete as a young person. So I want people to be able to hear the stories of how people grow in their careers. I remember in a conference I went to in Fiji with some doctors, one of the doctors had done engineering and she did her whole engineering degree, then she went and lived in Japan for a couple of years. And then her mum had told her about a family friend who did engineering and then went and did medicine. And so it was hearing that story that she's like, that's actually what I wanna do. So she went back and did medicine and now she's a doctor. So I think the more people can hear stories about other people's pathways, the more they see what's possible and it inspires them to do what really resonates for them.
0: Love it. And podcasting such a good medium to do that as well. So it's a great think for your podcast so people can subscribe and check it out and listen to it.
1: Well, I remembered something else that we're working on this year that I didn't mention. So we started a software business, it's a little sister company of Ulegal so it's not a legal business, it's a compliance business but it uses all of the intellectual property that we've developed in Ulegal to create legal documents for practices. It's a membership so each month there's a new topic and there's legal templates that are available that people personalise through a chatbot system, through legal automation software. Oh, wow. And it covers all, like, basically covers all of the things that I've talked about today, but without that legal touch.
0: That's an interesting topic too, isn't it? Because that's increasing, we're seeing in other parts of the world to how much can be automated in the legal side of things too.
1: Because we specialise in health, care, we know the questions to ask rather than you having to spend time on the phone with a lawyer, you can just answer the questions. So it's called Practice Protect and it's practice-protect.com.au.
0: Perfect. Well, people can check it out. We'll have the details on our website and the show notes of this episode. So check it out and have a chat with Sarah and the team if you're wanting to learn more and check out Practice Protect too. Look, Sarah, thank you so much for making the time. I'm going to catch up on your podcast and we'll, I'm sure we'll chat. And put my contact details
1: in the show notes.
0: Yeah, people can get in touch. Sarah, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks for the chat. Thanks for listening to the show